everyone. Welcome to the Responsible Entrepreneur Podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurs who are changing industries, various social systems, cultural paradigms, and how we govern ourselves. So they cover a broad range of ideas. And if you want to know more about that, you can check the Responsible Entrepreneur book, which talks about how I see people doing that from 15 entrepreneurs I have uh, worked with closely. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited today. I have someone I have so much respect for with me, uh, and I'm going to have her introduce herself. It is uh, Rebel, one of the sponsors we have for the podcast right now, and they're doing totally amazing things in the world. Cheryl, please tell us your name, what your role is, and a little bit about what you love about being in the role you're in with Rebel. Yes. So, Carol, I'm so grateful to be on this with you. I, I have such admiration for you, and you know I'm just obsessed with the things that you talk about. So thank you for including me. Um, I'm Cheryl Lachlan. I'm the CEO of Rebel Super Beverages, and I've been around for a while. I've had a long career. Uh, I actually, just to give a little bit of my background and how I ended up at Rebel, I worked for... I've worked for big multinationals and then I moved over and worked at Cliff Bar for 10 years, three years as CEO and really saw it uh, through a time of, of tremendous growth and, and evolution of the company. Had an amazing life-changing experience there because it really got me into the world of what does it mean to start to have impact on the world beyond just profits. It was first time I ever heard of the concept. I was blown away by it, and I had the joy of being able to start to implement that as CEO. And I left there in 2007 to co-found a company called Plum with a, my co-founder, Neil Grimmer. And it was all about nourishing kids from the high chair to the lunchbox. An amazing experience in uh, seeing a skyrocketing growth of a company in such a short period of time. And it really changing the way uh, a category was faced. It used to be baby foods in jars. We introduced it in pouches. And had an incredible experience there. At the same time, I was starting a company from scratch, uh, right from the beginning with institutional investors. And quite frankly, at the same time, had a family business. My, my husband started and that blew up in a big way. We almost went bankrupt. And I had an uh, incredible amount of stress during that time. So after three years, I was like, I need a break. I got to do something else. Um, and so I left Plum and became the executive director of the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies over at, at uh, the Stanford Graduate School of Business. I was there for two years and uh, really it was something I had always wanted to do was be part of the university world. I had this dream of, you know, it being out in the sunshine and all this big picture worldwide thinking. And then I went to Stanford. I'm like, this is exactly what it is. <laughs> I was in La La Land. But then Plum sold and we decided to move to wine country in Santa Rosa in Northern California. And I, you know, I, as thinking of what I wanted to do, I decided I wanted to teach entrepreneurship and serve on boards. I was done with the day-to-day -day thing of running companies. And then Rebel came into my life. And Paolo, the co-founder and chief innovation officer, who I think the world of, said, will you join my board? And I said, sure, you know, sounds good. Sounds like an interesting proposition. 
And the more I got involved in the company, the more I was like, holy crap, this has, this has the ingredients that I've seen in these other brands that have really taken off. I'll tell you, there were three things on that. One is an incredible brand and product proposition, and we could talk more about that, but in terms of the health of the product, the uniqueness of the super herbs that were in it, the clean, the clean label that the product is, and Paolo, as the, as the guy who made the product, his, his deep belief and understanding of how important it is to have taste as embedded as part of the product and that it's an art and achieving that culinary experience as being essential to the product that that is so key and then this beautiful brand wrapped around it that rebel stands for roots extracts berries barks and leaves what's into the product but a brand name like rebel i was like yeah. holy crap you know yeah. this is a marketer and i started my career as a marketer this is a marketer's dream so the product, the purpose, which I know we'll talk more about coming out of a, an idea of co-creating a future without human trafficking as being the core to how the brand was even created. And thirdly, this team, who, when I joined the company, was five people. But my God, the passion, the grit, the creativity, the smarts, the, the grounding innovation, those three things, I was like, I got to go in full force. Yeah. So here I am three years later, still doing what I said I'd never do again. Right. And so how are you doing it differently? Because I suspect you've learned that the CEO role, having done it several times, can be played in many different ways. Yeah. What have you changed about how you are being a CEO for Rebel? Oh my God, it's such a good question, you know, because I've learned such the hard way. Um, first of all, I have to say, just in terms of how I approach my work and really how I approach my life, is I realize now that my self-worth is not wrapped up in this company. And that I'm going to go on as a person and every other person in the company will go on as, as, as people far beyond this one moment of time. And by bringing that approach to the company, it is so much easier to go through the natural ups and downs that are part of any kind of startup and growing company. So I, I, I really, and that's, I've lived my life differently because of that. So that's one of the biggest things. And what I've also realized, Carol, and you, you know, you, wow, you talk about this so much in terms of systems, is that my life and every person, every teammate I have in the company, all of our lives, you cannot separate it from the work. And the joy we get from our lives outside of the company brings us so much in terms of what we bring to the company. So working 24-7 does none of us, including our investors, any kind of service because we have to be enriched by our lives. We bring that into our companies and vice versa. When we are rich by our companies, we bring it into our lives. So live, we're a system and we have to, we have to um, feed that system. So that's another thing that I've approached very differently, especially as an entrepreneur where most of us just go into our hole and, and work 24-7 and want no, nothing to do with anybody else in our lives. Yeah. So you have, you have a more holistic 
experience of life now and you're living from all of those different windows. I, I love hearing that because I think that's such an important message for most, especially entrepreneurs, as you say. Yeah. Let's let's dive a little bit more into the early story of Rebel, yeah. um, because there is something, uh, and I only know a little, so a lot of this is out of my own curiosity. <laughs> How in the world did the idea of this company become conceived and then how have you helped move it so it's mm. being better executed and maybe even evolved? So let's just go a little bit back to, it's a brilliant idea. It's one of those things people say, why did I think of that? <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about what was happening there and then how you've stepped in and continued to carry it forward. Yeah, and it was a brilliant idea. And I, you know, I, wow, I'm just so lucky that I happened upon this brilliant idea to be part of this beautiful company. So it's, it's such an amazing, fascinating beginning to me, because usually you have a company looking for a cause. This was a cause looking for a company. So Not For Sale, which is a or, nonprofit organization dedicated to ending human trafficking, who was, uh, the, this organization was founded by a man named Dave, Dave Bastone, who is brilliant. He is still on our board to this day, helping to us to make sure that we're focused on our, our you know, guiding light and being how we started. So what happened was there was an issue um, in Peru in this uh, region of Peru called Madre Dios, de Dios, there was human trafficking happening. And middlemen were coming into this community, this indigenous community, and buying their ingredients for nothing and selling them in Lima at extraordinary prices. And so the, basically what was happening was slave trade. And Dave, Bestone called together a group of people and he called it this Mon Montera Circle. And he had in a very eclectic group of people together. He had investors, he had uh, an agronomist, he had a, a major league baseball player for the San Francisco Giants, Jeremy Arafelt. This incredibly diverse group brought together and he said to them, and this was so bold, he said, we have this issue. I have no idea how to solve it. It could be a nonprofit solution. It could be a for-profit. But I'm telling you right now that I'm going to break you into teams, and whatever team comes up with the best idea, I'm going to fund that idea. He had no idea if it would even be a good idea, but he made that bold statement. So the group, actually, that had Jeremy Affelt, this baseball player and an agronomist, came up with this idea of a smart team. And the idea there was that they would use the local ingredients, which in this case was an ingredient called cat's claw, which is a, an adaptogen. And just to take a slow break so people know what that Please. is. An adaptogen is a type of super herb. And what it, it's been around for the millennia in terms of Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic. And what it does is found now actually through... Uh, through current research on it, it actually helps your body to adapt to stress. So if you're overstressed, it will calm you down. And if you don't have energy, it will actually give you energy. So it's wow. literally personalized nutrition that's natural. 
So they said, well, what if we can use this ingredient in a drink? That idea won. Dave said, let's fund the smart tea. It took a long time to get to the right idea until they found Paulo Hawken, uh, the, again, the chief innovation officer, and we can talk more about how that story came from there. But that was the beginning, is to solve this problem. And now, which has grown into a you know, very substantial, very growing business, had come into play. That's brilliant. I mean, it's just amazing to hear how someone could come to you with something they really need desperate help with and out of it could blossom this business that would be healthy for everything it touches yes yeah. yes and what's interesting is it took about a year really to to find paulo and paulo is one of the best beverage innovators i've ever experienced and what paulo said is uh, very interesting he said, okay, I, I hear you and believe deeply in what you're trying to accomplish, but I'm not just going to create a product. I want to create the best beverage company ever in all ways. And I will commit to this. I will join on if you're willing to commit to, to that. And so they together agreed, okay, let's do it. And Paulo went to the drawing board and he came up with what was at the time called, called Rebel Tonics. And these tonics were, had these, these herbs in it. Um, it actually had, it was almost from an Eastern philosophy. It had a bunch of different adaptogens inside the product. It was very complex. The label was so complex in terms of what all these things can do holistically for your body. And they went out with this product and I came in, and what they learned from this product was that it was confusing to the American consumer. It was too much. And what we're now starting to emerge to is starting to understand the importance of Eastern philosophy and a holistic look at the body. But at the time, you know, it was not something that the American consumer understood. So he introduced in 2014, halfway through the year, the, the, when Paulo came in and did these tonics was 2012. So fast forward to 2014. And he came up with this idea of this coconut milk-based elixir, which would only have one herb at a time with it, whether that be turmeric or whether that be maca, ashwagandha. And it was going to, it's, it became a very indulgent experience. So again, this super clean label, 100% organic always, uh, that what had a coconut milk base, used these super herbs, it was also non-GMO, was plant-based. You can see the best of the plant queendom. So fully embracing the plant-based lifestyle. This product started taking off in a big way. I joined the company at the beginning of 2015. I will always remember I pulled the company in to the first planning session they ever did, all five of us, and we went and we really articulated the, this vision for the company and what our commitment was. And I, I started looking at a, uh, the, what was happening with the product, and these tonics were doing well, but they weren't blowing the doors off because some of the issues that we talked about, but these elixirs were make they were taking the market by storm so i said to the group let's commit to these elixirs there's five of us in the company we can't do everything 
I think this is the bet. This is the horse that we need to ride in order to start growing this company. What was interesting, the group embraced that. I had to go back to the board and tell them this is what the recommendation was. And there was a lot of pushback because we had, we had Dave, we had some early investors who were committed to this. It, it's all about these tonics. It's all about you know, where, where we started. And I had to convince them that guys, you know what, this not for sale and our commitment is only gonna get better if this company gets bigger and that we change and evolve. And this original product is not gonna get us there. And it took a while of convincing, but finally everyone embraced it and the company absolutely took off. So it was an amazing experience in saying, what is needed? What did we learn? What is the, what is the next stage of where this company right. needs to go? So I don't know whether you heard, um, not that you have to sit around and listen to all the podcasts that you're sponsoring, but in the last one, I told a brief little story, very brief. My acupuncturist is a Japanese acupuncturist. She teaches in Japan. She teaches at Bastyr University. She never buys anything that anyone put in a bottle, and she buys your stuff by the case. Really? Yes. Oh, that is and so awesome. And her name is Brenda Lowe, and she said when she heard I was working with she nearly went crazy because it's the only... <laughs> absolutely only quote processed food that she suggests people oh my taking. god that's so cool yeah. well and probably because it you know it's it's just the ingredients are what it is the exactly is now that was her up. word and she said and those ingredients work so, i mean she has studied asian medicine you know her whole life and Wow. Uh, so she was she was really impressed with what you did. Oh, thanks for sharing. So let me, you were just beginning to talk about growing the company. Let's talk about, because I think this was why you came in and why Paulo and others wanted you to come in, was to grow the company. Yeah. But th there's a hundred at least, 10 big philosophies about how you grow something. Yeah. And I, knowing, I knew you, I met you, hardly had a conversation when you were in Cliff Bar, then didn't see you for years. And I can see so much difference in how you think the kind of energy the clarity and i'm wondering what you would say you've come to if you were going to say to people here's my philosophy of how you grow a company that has this kind of underpinnings this story this value how in the world do you grow that with integrity uh and meaning and all of that can you speak a little bit to that yeah uh, um absolutely from and I think I'll have to go through a couple different aspects in order to get there. One of the things that I've learned, and I learned this at Stanford too, and working with uh, working with professors in terms of how to even approach a, a startup and a growing company, is the whole idea of experimentation is so essential. And I love this quote by, um, Steve Blank, who's one of the professors there, and I, I wrote a book called Killing in an Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Head Without Losing Your Heart. And he, he actually does the, in, the intro to it because he, he is just, um, I, I just have all this respect for him in terms of how he thinks about startups. Yeah. He, what he says is that a startup is not a company. A startup is an experiment waiting to find a sustainable, valuable business model. And he is so right on on that. And I don't even think about that just in terms of the startup part of it. But as we go through every aspect of innovation, it is an experiment. 
Um, so until we found that right business model, being these elixirs, there, there really wasn't a company yet. So, okay, fast forward, now we have a company. So to me, determining what the company needs to feed it to grow is essential. And what had happened in the past in companies that I've been part of, uh, not Cliff Bar because it was privately held, but more in, in terms of Plum, is you know the, a lot of investors. So so invest venture capital investors were not funding for until really about five or so years ago. We're not funding food startups and consumer product startups because the amount of capital that you have to deploy to do it. It's much easier to support technical. Now, all of a sudden, because of the growth that has happened in, in food and beverage, especially in the natural world, all of these venture capitalists came to the table. But at the time when I was in Plum, it was still very new. So there was a philosophy that went into managing those kind of companies, which is only spend the minimal to spend to get things going. There's a benefit, of course, to being very, very conscious of what you spend. Absolutely. But there's a point of starvation that a company does not have the room to be able to grow and breathe. What I have found now in these, I have, I work with the most incredible board and group of investors I've ever worked, just unbelievable um, people. And part of it is not only have, do they embrace a new philosophy of looking at companies, but also they have run businesses before. Mark, for example, Mark Rampola is one of my investors. He was the founder of Zico, uh, Coconut Water. Dwayne Primovich is one of my investors and board members. He ran many companies over at Boulder Brands. So they understand what it takes to run a company. Their philosophy on it is let's fund this properly to give it the room to breathe, to grow, and be able to experiment. So the, what that's allowed me to do is bring in a very senior executive team that understands what it takes to be able to grow a company and scale. So it, they're mo the most experienced team that I've ever, ever worked with. And what a difference it makes because of the idea that they understand what it takes to start up a company, but they also understand what it takes to grow the company. Instead of having people that are still trying to work through how to, how to do that world of difference. So the first thing I heard was the experimentation, but the second is being mindful of how you're working with people who invest in you and what they're thinking about in terms of giving you a yes. foundation. Yes, okay. absolutely. And a third piece of it to your point about now the, the, the purpose behind the company and why we're doing it is, I think we're at another fascinating point in time. Like when I was at Cliff Bar, the whole idea of a company on a social mission with purpose was very, very new and unusual. Anita Roddick did it with Body Shop, Ben and Jerry's, there weren't many others. Yeah. At Plum, even when we were hiring people, there weren't a lot of people yet who had been through purpose-driven companies, especially at a level, at an executive level. Now, in this moment of time, People have grown up in it. So I, you know, I have uh, Chuck Angle as my SVP of sales. He grew uh, Kind Bar, which is very dedicated to a social mission. Rusty Porter went, uh, was, at, uh, uh, was at Crave. 
uh, jerky. And so she knows she, and she was also with Weinerman Waters. They, they know how she knows how to scale businesses. So we have people now that know, understand how do you take a company with purpose and scale it. That's a major opportunity for companies out there that was never there before. So the other thing is because our purpose is so much a part of the DNA of the company and I've embraced it, Paul's embraced it, our board has embraced it, people can't come into this company without embracing that as a part of the DNA of where it started and knowing that is an integral part of where the company is. This brand wouldn't be what it is unless we had that. So that I think is so essential. And you talk about that a lot, Carol, in terms of understanding your essence. We understand our essence and it is embedded in the company. I'll say one more thing is that we've did, we did some fascinating research with Rebel, um, which trying to understand how people are coming to the brand. In old brand philosophy is, it's got to be one thing. You have to say the one thing why people come to a brand. And it's important to get your message clear. But what we have found is people come into this brand because, for example, they love chocolate milk. We have our Rishi chocolate flavor. It is so deliciously good. They come in for that reason. There's other people that understand super herbs. They come in for that reason. There are other people that want to find the good fats in coconut uh, milk. They come in with that reason. There's other people who are th uh, love the story of not for sale and where that, how we began. They come in through that door. They come in through all those doorways and we embrace all those doorways. Even the research firm we worked with said, wow, I, I, you know, this is fascinating, all the doorways that consumers are coming in, but instead of thinking this is a detriment, we now are starting to see this is a huge benefit for a company. That is very, very different. Yeah, I often call it an essence to essence match, right? And if you find buyers, customers, who have an essence which is looking for yours, for what it is you bring that no one else is bringing. And it's interesting that it is a combination of things, much of which it doesn't have that other brands have. I am not at all surprised, but given that you've created, they in some ways are all coming for the healthy vitality energizing process, whether it's flavor or herbs or whatever it is. So it's made sense to me, and I've loved to be able to tell your story as an example of that. Oh, essence, thank essence. you, Carol. So let me ask you a little more about customers, because um, you do have to, when you're a brand, and especially a food brand, you have to have this really strong relationship. And some of that is like really hands-on. You have a way to be one-on-one -on -one with those five different things you talk about, everything from not for sale to chocolate milk and mm -hmm. coconut in between. How is it that you see you maintain, build, and energize the people who buy from you as a part of how you do business. Yeah. You know, I, I wow, um, that's a big question. And I think there's, there's a lot of aspects to it. But e engagement is so important. And that dialogue is so important. So we do different things and tell me if this is, if, if, probe me if this is not exactly where you want to go. So one of the things that we're finding with uh, the consumers that are attracted to Rebel is that our social media engagement 
is huge. Okay. The, the, there's multi layers to this brand and consumers want to participate in dialogue on that. I, I mean, in Instagram, I think that our engagement rate is about like 36 to 40%. A normal wow. brand would be about, you know, maybe 5%. Yeah. If that, and that's good. Uh, so people want to talk. So what part of the thing is we've got to invest in being able to have that dialogue with them internally. You know, I found one way things working with all these companies is there are places where you use agencies and places where you just can't. They can't be you. We are the brand. Everything about us, we live and breathe the brand. So that dialogue has got to come from within the brand. Um, in addition to that, we put a lot of effort into field marketing because we know that people have to try that product. Um, it, it, it blows people away when they try it. So that one, that dialogue and being able to hand them the bottle and talk about all these things is, is essential. Um, the other thing is it, inside the company, we have to make sure that everybody understands this and it's complex, whether it be our sales folks that are talking to retailers or our brand ambassadors that are talking to consumers one-on-one, -on -one, to our operations folks. I mean, operations, it used to be, oh, operations is just the side job. Now it is essential because our whole supply chain is wrapped up in how we do, how we impact in the market and how we work with our growers. So we're all part of that brand. Until we all understand that brand, we can't bring it into the world. Everything we do and how we interact with the outside world is a statement of our brand and how we are. So we live and breathe it. Um, so it's, it's getting out there, putting these touch points out, but also at the same time being really conscious that consumers can only take in so much. So we've got to be very clear in our messaging in how we talk about this message. Give you an example of what we mean. We're, we're just we're starting a campaign right now, which I'm very excited about. And the campaign, it's going through social media, but it, it has a layered approach. So we're going out and we're, you know, many more, we're starting to get into grocery stores that we've never been before. So we know we're talking to new consumers. So the layered approach is one, we go out there and we tell them about the tastes of the product and engage them. Then we have, as soon as we see that they understand that and are engaged with that, then we bring in a message about, let's tell you about these super herbs which are an ingredient in the product that's very essential to the product, okay? Second layer. Third layer, now let's talk about your lifestyle. Let's talk about mm -hmm. how, for example, with yogis, that we help, we help as part of the, uh, you know, the enhancement of their lifestyle. Okay, they got that. Then, then we come in and say, now let's talk to you about what we call our secret ingredient which is the not for sale story and all the work, which we haven't even talked about that we would do with growers around the world to help to uplift their lives so they're never vulnerable to trafficking to begin with. So we're layering it on so people can have bits of the story without bombarding them all with all these messages at once. Brilliant. 
Brilliant. So that was a long one today. No, that was brilliant because I do believe that often we bury the consumer and they think, I just want a damn good product. Just give me. Right. And that's, that's what they start with. And especially companies that would call themselves mission or purpose driven, they're so consumed with that that they assume that's immediately where someone that's who's right. buying isn't. So understanding those layers, I think, is a very good message for other, not only food-based companies, but people who have products of some complexity, and who would have thought beverage could be that complex? <laughs> Seriously. But it is. All right. Let's, let's do a little looking at, um, so often the term business model is used, but it, it means many things to many people. And you have a, what I'd call a pretty uh, distinctive, I haven't seen many people, and I thought of this just as you're describing this layers. Um, how do you describe what your business model is and why that serves you at so many levels? It serves you at the level of being a growth market. It serves you at the level of bringing in the right people to work for you. It serves you at the level of being able to engage with the people who want to find you and buy your product. Uh, so we can just say, well, they do wholesale distributions. You know, that's, there's something more. I think about how you think about where it is you meet your consumer and where it is you're able to create a transaction that feels of great value to both of you. Can you mm. speak at all to that? So the way we think about it is we think that there is, we have a brand that is multi-layered. It means a lot to very, to, to different, uh, to different people as we've talked about. And our approach is trying to learn from our consumer and use that learning as we go forward in terms of where to go. So yeah, I mentioned dialogue. We're learning this business every day. Again, going back to your brilliance on systems thinking, we do not say now, this is what our business model is that we're going to be using forever because that model is going to evolve as the consumer evolves. So what we do is we go out and say, okay, we, we started out only talking until this, until this year to a natural food consumer through the natural food channel. And what we did, we are very disciplined on looking at our velocity, being how much product is moving on the shelves and saying, do we have a strong velocity before we ever expand? Because if you don't, and this happens with so many companies, they expand so fast because you can build volume very fast with distribution, but it becomes a house of cards. So we said, Does the, is the consumer accepting this proposition? And are they excited about this proposition? What we found is, yes, they are. And then we move to, okay, let's now expand it for, in, in this case, in, in grocery stores. And, and now we know beautifully that natural food shoppers that used to only go into a Whole Foods, for example, now st are starting to go to many other, uh, many other outlets. So now we're ready there and we're starting to talk more broadly in terms of that consumer. And they're helping us to understand where it is that we go next. So e-commerce, what does that mean? The consumer is now into e-commerce. Wow, e-commerce is very interesting for us with our complex message because we can much more dialogue with the consumer 
through e-commerce. That's a very enticing thing. It's hard with the refrigerated product, but we're thinking a lot about that. Um, but as we dialogue with the consumer, we also, just going into the one-on-one -on -one approaches, we use that dialogue in really interesting ways. So for example, we go out, our field marketing folks are brilliant because they have become a form of research and dialogue with the consumer. Hmm. So whenever we, throughout everything that we do, we're not just saying to the consumer, buy this, we're saying, what are your thoughts about this? Is this a product you enjoy? What do you think about, you know, the not for sale piece of this and what we do with our growers? We use that information to feed back in to say, okay, what are we learning here and how do we need to adjust how we're telling the story and quite frankly, how might we need to change the product because it is not working for consumers in the way that, uh, that we think it is. So this is a long-winded way to say the market helps to drive what we do, how we say it, how we think about our products. That's what we learned. That's why we moved to Elixirs. The consumer spoke and said, this is the new place to go. That's great. Is, I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, no, it's great because what you're talking about is something I think people have trouble conceiving of, which is business models evolve. Yes. And people start, especially when their startups are young or the first five years and they're just trying to, you know, stay afloat, is they get, they think, we finally found a business model that's working. And they're not in the process of asking, how does it evolve? So I think you gave exactly what I feel like often entrepreneurs need to hear. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, um, no, thank you. Um, there's um, one other set of questions that I'd just like to play with a little bit because... Yeah. Uh, you started when you got there, there were five of you trying to figure this out, yeah. right? And now you're a bit bigger and yes. constantly growing. I want you to talk about how you help people in the organization stay connected to that dialogue, to that, and, the, and their own personal growth as a part of the company, not as the executives running the company, yeah, you know, and how does that fit with some of your mission and purpose and vision? That's a great question. And I, it is, a, I'm a culture obsessed person. It is, culture is everything. Again, culture is the brand. Well, how we are in the company is so reflective in the market. So we are in constant contact with the whole company about what we're doing and where we're going and where they think we should go from what they're seeing. So we do that in a number of ways. Um, well, one example is we have in our company, actually, and this is happening more and more in companies today, is a lot of us are virtual. I mean, I, I, I am actually, I work out of Santa Rosa and California, and our company headquarters is in Emeryville. It's about two hours to three hours, depending on traffic from my house. So I'm actually running the company, you know, many days of the week from being virtual. And the company actually grew up many of it virtually. So we have to figure out how do you live in this new world? How do you keep connected? So Slack is a beautiful thing. It's our internal communication system. And we have different channels for people that use it. Uh, where it's everything from, we have our regenerative channel, uh, inspired by you, Carol. We have our, you know, great quotes that we love channel. Great. 
we have the uh, channel on impact. We have the channel on you know what's going on with sales in terms of where are we having successes. All of these different things, and also what are we learning from the market in terms of um, what the product landscape looks like. We have a channel on what's going on with our product. Are there things that we're learning that we've we've got to do something about? So there, people now have learned how to use this dynamic. Um, this dynamic internal communication to be constantly talking as if we're in the same room together. So we mm -hmm. talk a lot about culture through that. Great. We also meet as a company once a month. We just had our meeting yesterday. We, we all get on a Zoom meeting and we do a whole update on where are we? I always start out by saying, here's my best current thinking about what's going on with the company. And then we talk about the most relevant things that are happening. And everybody is on that call. And the company is used to being like, if you're not there, you've got to find a way to, to, to find what happened in that meeting. It's really you record those meetings and keep them available? My God, Carol, that's a brilliant idea. Why don't we do that? Well, and Zoom does it for you. We're recording you on Zoom, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> oh, my God, we need to do that. Yeah. We also get together physically at least once a, once a quarter. Uh, we just got together last month for a three-day session together. So the whole company came together for three days. What we talked about is our evolving vision, uh, which I'm super, super excited about um, and engaged in dialogue with everybody and said, this is where we are. And a lot of it incorporates now principles of regenerative business. And which honestly, last year, I don't know if people would even have understood. And it, now it's come in and people are embracing it. They get it. And they added value to um, to, to our vision statement. And I, I just got to say, because I was really proud of the company on this, I, I'm going to almost get teary-eyed. I don't know why I'm thinking mm. about it, but I read, read this whole statement that Paolo and I and a couple other people wrote about our philosophy and where we are as a company. And the feedback that came back from the company is this is all great, but what we're not acknowledging is all of the past companies and leaders of which our work built upon Wow. And I, so we just, you send out a revised vision. I get chills because they're so right. And none of this is we're, we're discovering something brand new. We built off giants. And I love that uh, the team embraced mm, I that. I do too. I love that. Oh, I love that. And then we all went and um, we spent a lot of time together talking about the strategies that uh, in initiatives that the executive team came up with and got feedback on that. And the whole company broke out, all of us, into different groups to develop our tactics as a, gr as a group in person. We did that for two days. And then the third day was just a whole bonding session, going out into doing a picnic together and just being together. And that's how we, that's how we embrace our culture and, and nurture it over time. And a final thing I'll say is we have a culture committee, which is there's one person from each department. We work once a month together. And the whole idea there is bringing feedback back from each department on the ground in terms of what things are working and are not working, what do we need? And we get together as a group and saying, okay, what things do we need to do and adjust in order to make sure that we have a healthy company from a, uh, from a culture standpoint? 
That's great. How many people do you have uh, working now for Rebel? Uh, so yeah, again, in 2015, we were five. We now, because we just hired a couple people, we're up to 37 people. And okay. we were about 15 at the end of last year. That's about where Seventh Generation was when I met. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we that's how you and I know each other. I know. I know. It's really amazing. It just had memories flood back of that stage. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So one last question, and then I'll yeah. let you go run your company virtually. <laughs> um, one of the things that I talk a lot about is there is a wonderful thing about letting a lot of people do and be involved, but there's another thing about how you help people develop who they are as human beings when they go to work every day. You know, my most recent book is about can you structure work? Mm. And you gave just a little hint of that. Uh, a culture group, but how is it that people determine what growth they need uh, and how does the company support that evolution of them growing and therefore being able to contribute in a really meaningful way? Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I, I'm obsessed with your concept of capacity building. Um, so, you know, it's, there's, there's two pieces of capability building and capacity building. And we, in terms of the capability building, so, you know, we're, we had just last year started getting into how do we make sure that throughout, throughout the organization that there's discussions that are ongoing between managers and their and their teammates in order to understand what it is that's happening uh, on uh, on the job and how people are developing and what they need to develop so we have now made a concerted effort to make sure that those discussions are happening um, I know you're not a big fan of performance management. No, I'm not even remotely a fan. Not even remotely. Continue. There are so, other ways. Anyway, we'll come back to that someday. So what we also did, and we're evolving this as we go, is, is putting some structure behind it. And in terms of creating, um, you know, we have our KPIs for the company that evolve over time, but also helping people to understand, and I'm, I'm saying this as a structured piece because I think it started helping people to understand the different uh, layered aspects of working at Rebel. So one thing is just the KPIs that we need to accomplish to move the company forward. And we've just had a discussion yesterday as a company on our company meeting is how dynamic those need to be as, as we learn. And they're not a one-time thing. We created them at one point in time, but they've got to evolve. But the second piece is we we talk, and, and this really came out from this this uh, document that we created. What does it mean to be rebel-hearted? And uh -huh. until why I say the structure is important is because everyone came with their their own interpretation of what that means. And what we needed to bring forward is that. Rebel-hearted does mean coming to the company with the, embracing this purpose. Rebel-hearted does mean um, bringing love, which I, I call myself the chief love officer mm -hmm. because we've got to bring love into every aspect of what we do. And that's why getting what you get out of your family and your significant others in your life is so important because it nurtures that sense of love. Um, to the fact that, you know what? 
being rebel hearted also means being accountable. It means that we have this community that's working together, all of us, and that we owe it to our community as a team to, to accomplish our goals and our results. Because if we don't, the whole team loses and the whole company loses. So what does that mean for an individual to be accountable? So we, we, got that on paper so and, and talked about it with our team so that they understood that. And so I think there's a role to be played in things that are making sure that you capture what you're learning over time so it's not getting lost on interpretation from every individual person. So that's why I bring that up is that dynamicism. And right now we have a performance management tool. I know that we're going to evolve that over time. It needs, it's going to hopefully seep into the system so it just becomes an ongoing thing but it helps us to be able to understand what it is that we're talking about that we expect from each other okay beautiful all right this has been lovely uh oh, absolutely wonderful um, I, I soak into every moment of being with you carol <laughs> you know, from the million emails well, the feelings mutual my dear oh, um, thank you. i look forward to do more in person um but for today, I'm going to sign off and tell folks that they can also come listen to the Business Second Opinion, which uh, Rebel has kindly agreed to sponsor. And we will be telling a little bit of the story there. And otherwise, hang on, but I'm going to stop our recording for now. Thank you. Thank you.